<clears throat> I have a question for you, and this I will take a verbal answer if anybody's brave enough. Who said this? The world looks at me as a football player who's a Christian, but I look at the world and say I'm a Christian who happens to play football. Tim Tebow, right here. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, y'all bring him a prize. No, we don't have a prize. Tim Tebow, I'm just a Christian who happens to play football. Uh, Tim Tebow is no longer playing actively. He's a commentator now, but, but he made a tremendous impact. You know, years ago, Charles, Charles Barkley said, I'm not a role model. Just because I can dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. As so often, Charles Barkley is outrageous. But that was exactly true. It was exactly right. Just because of athletic talent, a person's not qualified to be a role model. It's a choice that all of us make. Whether we're going to be a role model for God or not, who we're going to represent. When Tim Tebow spoke in San Diego in front of a crowd of about 26,000, he was asked, do you see yourself as a role model? His answer was simple and clear. There are a lot of role models out there. There just aren't many good ones. To me, that's so frustrating because you have in today's society so many famous athletes in baseball and basketball and football and golf, every sport there is. If we come together to be great role models, it would be amazing to see how the next generation turns out. You know, it's amazing to see Tim Tebow, after he scored a touchdown or, or threw for a touchdown, go to his knees and honor God. He was not embarrassed to be a Christian. He understood something that all of us must understand. I think so often it's easy to live our lives in reaction mode. It's so easy to live our lives without thinking, without being conscious of who we are. I want to ask you today, do you know who you are? See, I believe who we are must precede what we do. In other words, we be and then we do. Instead of thinking about what others will think of us and then doing. Instead of just reacting, but thinking about who we are. We pick up the story of Joseph in chapter 39 of Genesis. And I will tell you today, uh, these are words that will be challenging. Uh, these are words I hope will be encouraging. But what we're going to talk about is how do we respond to temptation? How do we overcome temptation? That's the, the overall theme of this, chap, of this chapter of Scripture. A British playwright, Oscar Wilde, once remarked, I can resist anything except temptation. C.S. Lewis, on the other hand, said, We have observed that no man knows how bad he is until he's tried to be good. I don't think I probably have to talk long with you about temptation. We face it every day. Now, your temptations are different than my temptations, but all of us, all of us face temptation. What is temptation? 
it is that urge to do things that aren't good for us in the long term. It's that urge to do things that God doesn't want us to do or, or to not do the things God wants us to do. It's the urge to sin. When we were created in the image of God, we were created to live as godly followers. But giving in to those short-term urges, giving in to those short-term pleasures, temptation, we face it, we have to deal with it, how should we deal with it? The first thing I want to tell you is that God promises us that we can deal with temptation. God promises us that we can overcome temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. That is, you don't get more than anybody else or something different from anybody else. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So there is a way out. You cannot say, I have no choice but to sin. In fact, I think the victory to overcome temptation begins with understanding you can. With God's help, you can overcome temptation. Now, as we pick up the story of Joseph, he's going to give us five principles to overcome temptation as we look at this narrative. You remember last week, we left him with his brothers selling him to the Ishmaelites, selling him, and the Ishmaelites were slave traders. So we find out as we open up uh, verse, or chapter 39, we find out that he's been sold to an Egyptian leader, an Egyptian leader named Potiphar. He's taken down uh, to Egypt. And the first principle that we see here is that when things are going well, you better watch out. When things are going well, be on guard, is what I think we see. We say, well, he's, he's, been, he's a slave. How can things be going well? Let's read it. Uh, verse 2, uh, <clears throat> the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Very important. Uh, in fact, you'll see here, in four verses, five times, it talks about how the Lord blessed, how the Lord was with, how the Lord prospered Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, uh, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar pulled him, put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of this household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Now, it's remarkable to me, and I think that little phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, it's remarkable to me that he quickly overcomes the setback. He quickly overcomes the rejection of his family. And because he trusts and he first identifies himself in terms of his relationship with God, in terms of himself being a believer with the Lord, he, he has this kind of undefeatable spirit. Joseph doesn't sulk. Joseph doesn't pout. Joseph doesn't live in depression and discouragement. 
No, he's sold to Potiphar, and he immediately seeks to do positive things, to do great things, because the Lord was with him, and, and the Lord works through him, doesn't he? But I, uh, as you see here, you, you see that Potiphar was a man of means. That's evident from the text. Uh, but Joseph made his house run even more smoothly. Uh, Joseph made his house and his businesses even more prosperous. It's amazing how that works. I will tell you, if you live your life to please God, even unbelievers will see it. Potiphar picks up on that, and, and he quickly promotes Joseph. So things are going well. The arrival of Joseph into the household, uh, things are looking up both for Joseph and for Potiphar in the whole house. Uh, listen, God will make himself known through you if you dedicate yourself to him. Uh, other people will see that. It will be evident. You don't even have to open your mouth to see it. Live your life to please God, and uh, immediately you'll start having an impact. You'll start having some role model qualities, even at a young age with others. But be careful. For when things are going well, the evil one takes notice. When things are going well, then the tendency to perhaps be overtaken by temptation, the tendency to become complacent can happen. Uh, I think as a church, I pray almost every day for us not to grow complacent. I pray almost every day for us to be on guard because I know uh, because we are growing, because we're growing not just in numbers, but in impact, in spirit, in reputation. I know that Satan would love nothing more than to cause us uh, to crumble, to cause us to give in to temptation, to cause us to diminish our impact. And I say that to you in your life. If right now things are going pretty well, uh, you're living strong in the faith, stay, stay on guard, I say. For Joseph, temptation was right around the corner. The second principle is that when you're tempted, you need to remember whose you are. When you're tempted, remember whose you are. Remember being before doing. We pick it up in verse 7. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, that in Hebrew is very descriptive. It said, uh, she makes eyes at him. She lifts up her eyes at him. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak, his outer garment, and said, come to bed with me. Now, you see here, this temptation right before Joseph. And he says no for a couple of reasons. One, he is loyal to his master, earthly boss. Two, he's loyal to his God. You see, it's all about 
whose he is. It's all about his identity as a Christian. That informs everything that he does. <laughs> he doesn't give in to that temptation. You know, these days, we like to rename sin so it doesn't seem so sinful. One of the commandments, the heart of the law of God is thou shalt not commit adultery. Instead of a hard word like adultery, though, we use words like affair, tryst, fling, one night stand. We even call it making love. Call it what you like. Adultery is still sin because God says so. Listen to me. Don't be fooled by this culture. Our culture influences too often the church rather than the church influencing the culture. And I'm going to tell you today, our culture, even our institutions tell us that things that God says are not good for us, they tell us that they are, they're okay, or they're acceptable. Listen, we have to understand that there's a line in the sand. We have to understand that we must first please and honor God. If we want things to go well with us, if we want a God to bless us, if we want God to be a, a blessing through us, we have to take his terms and not our institutions. I mean our legislators. I mean our judicial authorities. Now understand, and I know this, that we need to be the best citizens we can be. But if we have to make a choice, we choose God's side over man's law. I'm going to tell you something today. The Supreme Court isn't. The Supreme Court isn't. You will not stand before Justice John Roberts and colleagues when your life is over. You will stand before God. His judgment is really the only one that matters. Joseph gets that. And so he says no to this temptation. He says, I will be faithful to God. And so must we. You see, it all starts with who you are. You might say, well, I am a tiller. Or I am a Toman, or whatever your surname happens to be. You didn't get a lot of choice in that. But I will tell you, as I've gotten older, I see that the most important identification I have is that I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And that pervades everything I do. Now, have I given in to temptation in the past? Sure. Yeah. And I see the negative consequences. As you think today about your failings, about your giving in to temptation, yeah, you see the negative consequences. I am not preaching for you to revisit your past. But I am preaching God's word, his truth today, so that your present and your future can be different. Leading me to the third principle. When you're tempted, act fast. Expect the temptation. Now, you notice Potiphar, his wife, was persistent. It's like she was always after him. 
She was always looking for opportunities to tempt Joseph. The second part of verse 12 tells us what happened when she grabbed his cloak. When he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He acted he fast. He, he left. He fled that temptation. He was ready for it. Now, you know, I thought about some excuses that Joseph could have used. Uh, using, used. <laughs> you like that word, Jim? Using. You know, I was proud this week. I think it was in a staff meeting. Uh, somebody made up a word, and they said, that's what preachers do. <laughs> it's one of our uh, job benefits is we get to make up words. He could have used a lot of different ex- uh, excuses. He could have said, we're all alone, as he thought about that. That was true. He could have said, she made me do it. It was also true. He could have said, no one else will know. That's probably true. He could have said, she's in a bad marriage. It's very possible. He could have said, I have, I'm single and I have needs too. But definitely True. I deserve this. Not true. Everyone fools around. Not true, but it sounds good. God will understand. Definitely not true, but a popular excuse. We do that, don't we? We get tempted and we start rationalizing. We start going through, and listen, I'm not just talking about sexual temptation. That's the subject here. I'm talking about any kind of temptation. You will find yourself, if you let yourself go there, you'll find yourself uh, making rationalizations why it's okay this time. Well, so often I've found that one time leads to another time and many times. And what happens? Maybe no one else knows right away, but your self-esteem knows, your conscience knows. And eventually, there will be an accounting for it. Joseph is ready. He is ready not to have time to think. It is immediate. She grabs him. He takes off. Like Kenny Rogers sang, sometimes you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. And you got to know when to run. I'm telling you something. It is not courage for you to stay into a place of temptation. Discretion is the better part of valor. You know, most sayings and cliches are that because they're true. It is important for you to know that you just need to avoid those places where you're tempted. You need to to arrange boundaries for those areas of temptation. And here, Joseph gives us a model that all of us can benefit from. When you're in that place of temptation, act. Don't think. Don't talk. Act. Remove yourself. Uh, fourth, the fourth principle I see here. You might expect Joseph, because of this thing he did, this good thing he did, to be honored by Potiphar. After all, he didn't dishonor him by sleeping with his wife, but no, that's, what, that, that's not what happens. When you do right, don't expect a reward. 
I might add, earthly reward. Verse 13 through 20 moves the story along. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. This is the part in the story where you go, ooh, boo. A woman scorned, right? She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him the story, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. You hear this hint of racism in this story? But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, I want to say something to you. I think it's unclear whose anger it burned against. I don't believe he believed his wife's story fully because the punishment for adultery was death, capital punishment, not being thrown into prison. So maybe a part of his anger was against her, but certainly he had to act upon Joseph. And so Joseph, the slave, has now become Joseph the prisoner. He didn't get what he thought he would get in the short term. And I want to say to you sometimes, that leads us to give in to temptation because maybe we've done the right thing and haven't received an earthly reward, or at least one we can perceive and feel. Not always in this life, if you honor God, Will you be blessed by others, by the world? And as I was talking about the clash of the culture in the church, I will say it will be more likely if you honor God, if you live by God's commands and his teachings, if you live by God's values, then there are going to be others in the world who condemn you. Others in the world who perhaps ridicule you, but it doesn't change what I said. We have to choose who will serve God or the culture, God or the world. But don't expect when you say no to temptation, when you do the right thing, don't necessarily expect, because I think when we expect some kind of reward and it doesn't happen, It hits us in a more profound way, a negative way. Don't expect an earthly reward. But the fifth principle is also true. When you do right, God will honor you. When you do right, God will honor you. Now, remember what verse 2 said. The Lord was with Joseph. And throughout all this, this incident, the Lord stayed with Joseph. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus promised this, that if we give our life to Christ, uh, we're baptized into Christ, we receive forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said to his disciples right before he ascended, that lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. God, if you're a Christian, God is with you. You can 
overcome. You can succeed no matter what negative turns the road takes. Uh, Verse 21 to 23, uh, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Uh, The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Again, no period of depression, no period of discouragement, no period of wondering if he was doing the right thing or had done the right things. He was determined to live for God. And because of that, God continued to bless him. I will say to you, not always can you see all the blessings of God right away. There's a process here in these verses of days, of weeks, of months even. As he goes to prison, as the warden sees and observes the godliness flowing out of him, as the warden promotes him and brings him to a place of responsibility, of honor. It takes time. Right when you say no to temptation, right away, not always does the reward, the blessing of God come, but it will come. The scripture says to us over and over that God blesses those who honor him, who please him. And so, what is it that we do? Let me conclude practically. Back in the early 80s, there was a, a campaign initiated by the late Nancy Reagan, just passed away a few weeks ago. In response to the growing drug problems in America, uh, she told students, she told teenagers to say no. Just say no. Y'all remember that, some of you? With a little gray hair, y'all remember that? Do you know that scientific studies of that campaign have, they have ascertained that that wasn't so successful. It had some benefit, but, but it wasn't so successful. And I think that's right. It makes sense to me. Why? Because just saying no without the proper motivation, just saying no without the proper identity is going to be fleeting. It's going to be temporal. (laughs) I say to you, just say no because of the one who lives inside of you. Just say no because the one whose spirit is in you. You're a temple of the spirit, God's word tells us. Just say no. So, if you're in a position where you're tempted to do something with your eyes, that you shouldn't. Just say no. If you're in the position where you're tempted to do something with your body that you know God wouldn't like, just say no. If you're in a position to do something with your finances or somebody else's finances that you shouldn't, just say no. The power of no is something that God can give us, that can flow through us the power of no is, is something that I encourage you uh, to, to adopt in your life, to understand that you act first in saying, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. But we are weak. 
So let me practically give you some boundaries. Now, if you want, you can call me, email me, text me, whatever, throughout this week. If you maybe, if I don't talk about a temptation that you're dealing with, and maybe I can help you with some boundaries, but just let me generalize for a moment. I know through the years, I've talked with a number of people who had problems with pornography. There are boundaries that you can set up. There are software programs you can set up that send an accounting of all the sites that you go to. There's no harm in putting in place uh, those accountabilities, those perhaps human partners or software partners. It's something that all of us, I think, need to recognize. In the areas that we potentially are weak, we need to have boundaries. You know, Billy Graham uh, was famous for his crusades, famous for his Christian witness. He had a set of boundaries that he put in place when he was on the road. He would never go into a hotel room first without having a member of staff go in. Remember when you're having great effects for God, then temptation and the world, uh, Satan doesn't like it. He was never alone with a person of the opposite sex. Maybe your struggles with substances. You know, for alcoholics, I, I think the scripture teaches not that we should totally abstain from all alcohol, though if it harms our witness, we should. But for alcoholics, I know that they're taught in recovery programs, and I believe in it, that they can't even have one drop because it's too hard to stop. There's a general principle there, a general boundary. If you have a problem with any kind of yearning, any kind of temptation, then put into place those boundaries. God will honor that. God will bless you just like he did Joseph. So let me close where I began. Who are you? If you're a believer in Christ, then you'll honor Christ. Fathers, we think about these things. I pray that we would first confess what needs to be confessed. Then we'd ask you for help and direction. Well, I pray for your leading in our lives, that we might be faithful like Joseph was faithful. Oh, that we might learn to overcome temptation uh, with these principles in mind. Father, help us to be pleasing to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.